Good evening. It's good to be together tonight. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Tonight, we finally have the opportunity to finish up our sermon series throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians. Tonight, we're looking at that last chunk that Seth read for us in verses 12 through 28. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 28. When Queen Victoria was a little girl, she didn't know that she was in line for the throne. She didn't know that she was going to be the Queen of England one day. So when it came to her studies, she was a little bit relaxed. Her teachers could never get her to focus. Her teachers could never get her to pay attention. She didn't want to learn. She didn't want to study. She didn't want to put in any effort. She just wanted to do what she wanted to do. Do you know anybody like that? Well, one day the teacher sat down, Victoria, and explained to her that one day she was going to be the Queen of England. And that's why she needed to take her studies and her classes very seriously because one day she was going to have such a great responsibility. As they were explaining this to her, the way that the story read, her eyes got as big as saucers. And she replied very quietly with just five words. She said, then I will be good. She said, if if that's going to be my responsibility, if that's going to be who I am one day and what I'm going to do, then I will be good. I will behave. And she held to that. She recognized the high calling that she had. She recognized that one day she was going to be in a very high position. She was going to have a great responsibility And she conducted herself accordingly. Tonight, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28, we're talking about a Christian's responsibility. As Christians, we've received a high calling, wouldn't you say? Think about the day when you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You remember what that day was like? You remember the feelings that you had, the day that you entered into relationship with your Creator, and in that moment your Creator became your Savior. It was in that moment where you claimed for yourself so many beautiful and amazing benefits and blessings, so beautiful, so amazing, that we really can't describe it, we really can't put it into words. It was on that day when you claimed the great mercy, grace, and forgiveness of our God. It was on that day when you were washed clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. It was on that day when your life and your heart was filled with hope, not only in this life, but also looking towards the next life. It was on that day when you were placed in Christ Jesus and you were surrounded with a community of Christians who love you and are going to encourage you every time that they see you. Certainly being a Christian, that high calling brings great benefits and blessings. But what I want us to recognize tonight is that it also brings responsibility. I don't know about you, but when I look at Christianity as a whole, I think one of the problems that I see is that people want to claim the blessings and the benefits of Christianity, but they're not so sure about the responsibility. Have you seen that before? People are happy to talk about receiving God's grace, living in God's love, embracing God's forgiveness, but they're not so sure about words like commitment, dedication, laying everything that they have at the feet of Jesus. 
The thought of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus is an amazing thought to them. It's something that they allow to define their lives until that temptation comes. Until that sin comes. And they choose to live in the way that they want to live and do the things that they want to do. People want to claim the blessings and the benefits of a relationship with God, but so many are not sure about the responsibility that comes. Well, I believe when we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12-28, through Paul talks to us about the responsibilities of the Christian life. And he's going to talk to us about responsibility in five different areas. That the Christian life, we are able to claim amazing benefits. We are able to claim amazing blessings. But we also have responsibilities that we need to be mindful of. So as we read through this passage, let's recognize that these are not just responsibilities for the church at Thessalonica. These are responsibilities for the church at Seven Oaks. These are responsibilities for you, responsibilities for me, that we should be fulfilling on a daily basis. When we look at this text, first, Paul talks about a Christian's responsibility to the elders. That's in the first couple verses of this passage. Chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. One thing that I love about what Paul has to say about a Christian's responsibility to the elders is he talks about both sides of the relationship. And he acknowledges that the relationship goes in two directions. First, let's talk about what Paul has to say about the elders' responsibility to the congregation. In verse number 12, He talks about the elders as those who labor among you. In verse 13, he uses a similar phrase to talk about their work. The elders are not just those who make decisions. They are those who are laboring within the congregation. Working within the congregation. Getting their hands dirty. Thinking about elders as shepherds, which is a term that's used throughout the New Testament to refer to that office within the church. We're talking about shepherds here who are not removed from the sheep, but instead they're involved in the lives of the sheep. They're going to look like the sheep and they're going to smell like the sheep because they're working, they're laboring alongside of them. But also notice the elevation in authority in verse number 12. He talks about how the elders are over you in the Lord. They have a position of authority. They're caring for the church. They're directing the church. He says in verse 12 that they admonish you They're teaching you. They're showing you what you need to do in order to be faithful to Jesus. In order to go down the straight and narrow path of Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 that leads to eternal life. As Paul thinks about the elders in Thessalonica, it seems like they're doing a good job in fulfilling that responsibility of laboring, working, being over them, admonishing them to be faithful to the Lord. When we think about the church here at Seven Oaks, I think that you would agree with me in saying that we have two very good elders who are focused on and intentional about fulfilling these responsibilities. Elders who we've seen step into the life of the congregation and are are, are willing to work. They're willing to labor. They're willing to get their hands dirty. They they take the position of authority that they have very seriously. That they're over us in the Lord. Admonishing us. Teaching us. And showing us by example what we need to do to be faithful to King Jesus. I'm, I'm thankful for the two elders that we have here. Thankful for the great job that they do with this responsibility. But also notice the other side of the relationship. 
He doesn't just talk about the elders' responsibility to the congregation. He talks about the congregation's responsibility to the elders. And perhaps that's the emphasis, the overall emphasis, the main emphasis of verses 12 and 13. He says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And then he says something very similar in verse 13. To esteem them very highly. To hold them to the highest degree. To hold them in respect to the highest level. Not out of obligation. Not because you have to. Not because you're scared or fearful of them. But to esteem them very highly in love. When we think about this congregation and our responsibility to our eldership, it's outlined pretty well there, isn't it? We are to respect them. We are to esteem them very highly. Not because we have to, but because we love them. I'm sure that you're well aware. You you might not agree with every decision that the elders make. You might not agree with everything that the elders decide to do. But you always, even when you disagree, have the responsibility to respect them and to hold them in esteem to the very highest level. And to do it in love. That's not really a hard thing to do, is it? When we think about our shepherds, and we think about how much they love us, how could we not love them in return? So this is the Christian's responsibility to the elders. I love how Paul talks about both sides of that relationship. But then you continue reading into verse number 13. Paul continues and he widens just a little bit. He goes from talking about the Christian's responsibility to the elders to a Christian's responsibility to fellow Christians. A Christian's responsibility to one another. Notice the very end there of verse 13. He says, be at peace among yourselves. You know as well as I do, not just talking about this congregation, but talking about the church as a whole, there are some Christians who just can't get along. They're always fighting. They're always fussing. They're always bickering with one another. There's always a certain level of tension when they're together. Maybe they can't even be together. They hold grudges against one another and are very bitter towards one another. Paul says we have to do all that we can as a body to work against that. Don't fight with one another. He says, be at peace among yourselves. We must do all that we can to allow peace to rule within our congregation. Watch as he continues. Verse 14. He says, we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle. Just like the elders are admonishing the congregation, he says, we have a responsibility to admonish those who are idle. That word idle could be translated and it could mean a couple of different things. It could mean, number one, to admonish those who are lazy. Those who have taken their foot off the gas pedal, spiritually speaking, when we see a Christian become relaxed in their faith, when we see a fellow brother or sister in Christ become complacent, what is our responsibility? Admonish them. Encourage them to be on fire for the Lord. But that word idle, it could also have a more general meaning to refer to those who are undisciplined. Those who are intentionally choosing to live in sin. When we see a brother or sister in Christ wander into sin, we don't just stand there and watch it. We do all that we can to help them. Once again, Paul used the word to admonish them. James says in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, to turn them back from the error of their way, cover a multitude of sins, and to save a soul from death. Continuing in 14, we don't just admonish the idle, but we, we encourage the faint-hearted. 
When you look at the church as a whole, there are some people who struggle with being faint-hearted. People who are anxious. People who are discouraged. As Christians, as brothers and sisters, we are to be in the business of lifting drooping hands and strengthening weak knees in Hebrews 12 and verse 12. When we see somebody who is faint-hearted, we are to encourage them to keep going and to place their confidence in Jesus. The next thing that Paul says is that we are to help or we are to give aid to the weak. Notice that he doesn't talk about a specific kind of weakness there. And I think he does that on purpose. Because there are many different kinds of weaknesses that we struggle with as individuals. There are Christians who struggle with with physical weakness. So what do we do? We help them. There are Christians who struggle with emotional weakness. So what do we do? We help them. There are Christians who struggle with spiritual weakness. Weaknesses of various kinds. So what do we do? We help them. As we run the Christian race, we don't leave anybody behind. We don't leave those who are struggling or weak behind everybody else. Instead, we do what we can to give them the help and to give them the aid that they need. And then look at the end of 14. He says, be patient with them all. Even within the church, there are some people who just grind your gears. There are some people who get your blood boiling. There are some people who are sometimes very difficult to deal with on a day in and day out basis. How do we respond to that? Paul says we have to be patient. We have to be long-suffering. Don't have such a short fuse. Don't be quick to get angry as James talks about in James 1 verses 19 and 20. Be patient with those who are easy to be patient with. Be patient with those who you like. Be patient with those who are your friend. Well, of course, what Paul says here includes that, but it's not limited to that. He says be patient with them all. Even those people that are sometimes very difficult to deal with, Paul gives us the responsibility. This is your responsibility and my responsibility to be patient with them all. And then look at 15. Our responsibility to one another. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. When you look at that, especially those last few words, we could maybe even create another category here that this isn't just our responsibility to one another, this is a responsibility to every single person that we meet on a daily basis. He says in 15, repay nobody evil for evil. When somebody hits you, your natural instinct is to do what? Not just to hit them back, but to hit them harder. If somebody hurts us, our natural response is to hurt them worse then they hurt us. Paul says don't do that. Revenge is always going to be inappropriate. Revenge is always going to be sinful in the life of a Christian. Repay no one evil for evil. But instead, here's what we do. We always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We're always and actively looking for opportunities to do good, not just to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to every single person that we meet. Think about how applicable that would have been in the context of 1 Thessalonians where these Christians are experiencing severe persecution at the hands of the Jews. Paul says when they hurt you, you don't hurt them. But instead, you seek to do good to them always. That message remains to be true for you and for me. 
And then skip down in the text just a little bit if you have your Bible open to verse 23, 24, and 25. I think Paul presents to us that we have the responsibility to pray for one another. Paul was praying for the church at Thessalonica. He writes out that prayer in verse 23. Did you notice that? May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. Make you holy completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the only time He prays for them in this passage. Look at verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul the Apostle was praying for the church at Thessalonica. Well, that's what we would expect from Paul, right? Paul's an apostle. He's a spiritual leader, spiritual mentor. We would expect him to be praying for people. But notice the request that he makes in verse number 25. Just four words there. Brothers, pray for us. Once again, it goes both ways, doesn't it? We're emphasizing both sides of that relationship. It's not just Paul praying for the church at Thessalonica. Paul looks at the church at Thessalonica and says, I need you to pray for me and to pray for how I'm serving the Lord. That I will be effective. That I will be fruitful. That I will be God-honoring and God-glorifying. In your prayers, how often do you pray for this congregation as a whole? When you talk to God throughout the week, how often do you pray about individual people, bringing individual names within this congregation to the Lord? That's our responsibility to one another. To pray for one another. And then look at the statement of verse number 26. Another responsibility we have towards one another. He says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now this was a cultural practice back in the first century world. A way of showing affection. Common way of showing affection. It was men to men, women to women, giving a kiss on the cheek to show the love and the affection that you had for that person. Now that cultural practice is long gone. I'm not suggesting that we need to go around kissing one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm not saying that at all. That cultural practice is gone, but the principle still remains, doesn't it? In the same way, we're to love one another. We're to have affection for one another. And don't keep that love or affection to yourself. Express it to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Show them how much you love them when you're dealing with them or even when you greet them. To greet them in an affectionate way to show how much you love them. Here Paul's talking about a Christian's responsibility. A Christian's responsibility to the elders, number one. A Christian's responsibility to one another. That's the majority of the text, number two. But then as Paul continues, he switches just a little bit in 16-18. through 18. So far, we've been talking about our responsibility to fellow human beings. But in 16-18, through 18, he talks about our responsibility to God. Look at 16. Rejoice always. As Christians, we can have joy all the time. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Now this, this doesn't mean that you're going to be happy all the time. This doesn't mean that you're going to put on a fake smile whenever you're dying and grieving on the inside. That's not the message here. The message is that we can have a joy even when we're not happy. Even in really difficult moments. Not because of our circumstances, but because of our relationship to Jesus. Because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. I think about Philippians 4 and verse 4. You've heard this verse before, haven't you? Rejoice, not in your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. And when you find your joy in the Lord, you can have it always, Paul says 
in Philippians chapter 4, in verse number 4, our responsibility to God to rejoice always. And then look at 17. Pray without ceasing. We just talked about prayer a moment ago. This is not saying that we're to pray all the time. Every moment, every second of every day, you need to spend praying. That's not the message here. The message is more to be constant in prayer. Throughout the day, we should be in constant communication with God. I think about my life. I think about my week. I'm in constant communication with Leslie. We're texting back and forth throughout the day. Maybe there's some calls that happen throughout the day. We're, we're not talking every second of every day, but that communication is going to be constant. Can you picture that? I think that's the kind of communication that this text is encouraging us to have with God. Have an open line of communication with Him. Spend your day talking to Him. Approaching His throne in prayer. Pray without ceasing. And then look at 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So often people wonder, what's God's will for my life? And here I think Paul gives us at least a piece of that, at least a part of that. God's will for us is to give thanks in everything that we go through. To give thanks in all circumstances. Now I'm going to speak for myself. Maybe you would agree with this. It's pretty easy to give thanks when things are going well in your life. It's pretty easy to give thanks when your circumstances are really positive. It's a little bit harder to give thanks when your circumstances are not so positive. When you're going through trial or when you're going through difficulty in life, yet that's exactly what Paul is calling us to here. Even in the difficult moments, don't we have things to be thankful for? God is still good. God is still sitting on His throne. God is still caring for us and loving us. God is still active and involved in our lives. Even when one thing is going wrong, we have a million other things that are going right. And so Paul says, in all circumstances, give thanks to God, for that is His will for our lives. And I don't have this verse on that point number three, but if you skip down to verse 24, Paul talks about God's side of this relationship, doesn't he? God's responsibility to us, we might say. We, we saw the prayer that Paul offered in verse number 23. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May God set you apart. May God make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just a wish. That's not just an aim. In verse 24, notice the confidence he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This prayer that Paul is offering, like we said, it's not just a wish that may happen or it may not happen. He says God's faithful. Think about what He does in our relationships with Him. God is going to be faithful to the promises that He's made to us. He will surely do it. A Christian's responsibility to God then we look at number 4 in chapter 5 and verse number 19. We find a Christian's responsibility to the Holy Spirit. A part of the Godhead. A part of the Trinity. In verse number 19, do not quench the Spirit. When you quench a fire, what are you doing? You're putting it out, aren't you? I believe here Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit as a fire within us. A fire within our hearts and within our lives. Acts 2 and verse 38, you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. 
It's in that moment that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins in living inside of you. From that point forward, the Holy Spirit doesn't just live inside of you. The Holy Spirit is a fire inside of you. He's the one empowering you to serve God and to serve others. He's the one strengthening the inner man so that we can be who God wants us to be. He's the one enabling us to produce fruit in Galatians 5 that's so different from what the world produces. Paul gives a command. The Holy Spirit's a fire within you. Don't allow that fire to be quenched. Don't allow that fire to go out. When we live the kind of life that Paul's talking about in this passage, then the Spirit's not going to be quenched. When we ignore the kind of things that Paul's talking about in this passage, and we wander away from God, we wander into sin, that's when the fire is going to start to go out. Maybe you've heard of this before. In Turkmenistan, the country, there's something called the Darvos Gas Crater. Back in the 1970s, they were drilling for oil and came across natural gas. So they thought to themselves, we'll just burn it off so that we can get to the oil. Well, they burnt the natural gas. Of course, it went on fire. And it hasn't stopped burning to this day. For over 50 years, the fire has continued to burn and there's really not an end in sight. You think about your life. Five to ten years down the road, is the fire of the Spirit going to be quenched in your heart and in your life? Fifteen to twenty years down the road, is the fire within you for Jesus and for the Gospel, is it going to be quenched? Or is it going to continue to burn brightly? Our responsibility to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, number five, we find a Christian's responsibility to the Word of God. Of course, this is closely related to the Holy Spirit. We know that God has inspired His Word through the Holy Spirit. You see what he says and what Paul says in verse number 20, do not despise, do not reject, some translations might say, prophecies. When he uses that word prophecy, more than likely he's referring to the miraculous capabilities that existed in the first century church where both men and women possessed the capability to stand up and to prophesy, to miraculously share a message from God. Of course, today we have the message from God in the inspired Word, the book that we're holding in our hands. Don't despise the Word of God. When you hear the Word of God, when it's preached, when it's taught, when you spend time reading it yourself. Don't reject it. Don't despise it. Well, what do we do with it then? Paul continues, don't despise prophecies, but instead, test everything. Just because somebody claims to speak for God doesn't mean that they're actually speaking for God. It doesn't matter who it is. Whether it's myself, Michael, Jacob, Another preacher who might stand in this pulpit. Another preacher that you might hear in a pulpit throughout the entire world. It doesn't matter who it is. When somebody claims to speak for God, the listener always has a responsibility. And that is to test not just some things, but to test everything. Is this person actually speaking the truth? Is this person actually communicating what the Word of God says? Is this person speaking accurately a message from the Lord. I was in a class a few semesters ago and one of my professors suggested that we need to philosophize with a sledgehammer. Can you picture what that means? 
You take what's being presented to you and you take a sledgehammer to it. You break it into pieces. You see what's inside of it. Why do you do that? To test it. To see if it's accurate. To see if it is right. That's what the Bereans did. When the Apostle Paul came into town, they are commended as being noble in Acts 17 and verse number 11 because they examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's a practice that needs to continue into today's time. Don't trust somebody just because they claim to speak for God. But instead, test what they're saying by what we have in the inspired Word of God. Okay, What do we do when we test everything? Paul gives two options. He says, first, hold fast to what is good. The Word of God is being spoken. I'm not going to despise the Word of God. Instead, I'm going to test everything to see if this is true, to see if this is accurate. If it is true, if it is accurate, if it does represent what the Bible teaches, what do we do with it? We adopt it into our lives. We take it into our hearts. And we make proper application in the decisions that we make on a daily basis. The Word of God is presented. I'm going to test it. What I find to be good, I'm going to hold on to that with everything that I have. But what if it's not true or accurate? Paul, in verse 22, says abstain from every form of evil. If it's not accurate, if it's not accurately depicting what the Word of God teaches, then we reject it. We abstain from not only that form of evil, but every form of evil. A Christian's responsibility, number five, to the Word of God. As Paul says, not the Word of man, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, but the Word of God. Throughout this series, throughout 1 Thessalonians, we've been talking about the overall idea of having holiness and hope in a hostile world. It's no secret that our world is becoming increasingly more hostile to Christianity, to Christian principles, to what the Bible actually teaches. So as we maneuver through this hostile world, how can we have hope? How can we be holy? That's what the book of 1 Thessalonians is all about. I believe that's what our passage tonight is all about. If we can fulfill these responsibilities, then we'll find ourselves in the midst of holiness and hope, even in the midst of a world that's hostile. Let's be intent on fulfilling our responsibility to the elders. Fulfilling our responsibility to one another. Our responsibility to God. Our responsibility to the Holy Spirit. And our responsibility to the inspired Word of God. Tonight, if we can help you to fulfill your responsibility as a Christian, we would love to do that. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you in any way that we can. If you find yourself weak, if you find yourself faint-hearted, look at what this Bible teaches. We can help you tonight. We can admonish you. We can encourage you tonight. Or maybe you've never made the decision to become a Christian. We want to encourage you to consider that. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you need to study about that more. Or if you're ready to name Christ and be buried in the waters of baptism, we'd love to assist you with that as well. As together we stand and Seth leads us in a song of encouragement.